I'm feeling a little stretched these days between East Chestnut and Sunnyside. And it's not because of the hours that are demanded upon me, but it's just a feeling a stretching of heart and attention quite somewhat expected but not quite understood until I experience it. So I guess we're okay as long as we don't break because we can be stretched by many things these days. Stretching actually is a good thing as we, it takes us out on walks, it stretches our legs, we get to move around, and so today we engage in reconciliation arts walk. So, restaurants and shops of all kinds are open on Friday night, 8 to 9, up until 8 or 9 in the evening. All kinds of food not found in Lancaster in earlier years, and oh, the food, that's what I like. But it's not always the food. There are music groups performing, small bands, sometimes one or two persons, sometimes a larger ensemble. It's First Friday in Lancaster. Maybe it's also Third Friday these days as well. On one occasion, Loretta and I were surprised, pleasantly surprised, walking into Glass and Arts work on North Queen Street. And we spent a few seconds in the shop, went back to the back door, and there was a courtyard. And you guessed it. Food, music, it was First Friday. It was really a fun thing. But it's not just music and food that attracts people to First Friday. It's the art galleries. Numerous along North Prince Street and North Queen Street. Just saw a few yesterday. Here to Timbuktu, Isidore, Julia Swartz, Mulberry Arts is over in Mulberry Street, of course. Christiana David, or maybe David and the works of Liz Hess, which many of us are familiar with, they're all there. And if you want to know where everything else is, Lancaster newspaper has a Thursday edition, Entertainment Lancaster. So one can take an art walk on First Friday, find strangers and friends along the way, hear the music, eat the food, drink the coffee, and have a good time. In Chapter 3 of Reconcile, by John Paul Lederick, the Reconciliation Arts, Jesus, the title of chapter 2, we find an invitation to another kind of art walk. It's the art of reconciliation. I believe Lederick deliberately chooses that word art so as to get us away from technique and method and left-brain linear thinking that we just do these four things and check them off, it's all done and we're finished. But Lederach uses the word art with purpose. The art of reconciliation. Now the art walk in Lancaster is not quite the same thing, but one thing that the two have in common is people. It's about people. So we remember last Sunday's encounter from chapter 2 of Reconcile. We remember the meeting between the estranged brothers, Jacob and Esau. There was the conflict, the move from each other, the move toward each other, the meeting, and finally the embrace along the journey to encounter each other. Today, we major in the art of presence. In Matthew's Gospel, the disciples are there with Jesus in this encounter, and 
The Pharisees have a discipleship challenge for Jesus. They're not there to learn. They're there to push Jesus to the point of making a mistake. And these people, these Pharisees, are are fine people. They're learned scholars of the Hebrew Bible. They're experts at interpreting the Jewish law built on the Old Testament. They conduct an experiment with Jesus. It's more like a test, a trick question, intended to find Jesus at variance with their understanding of Jewish law. A different kind of walk, isn't it? Their experiment is meant to undermine Jesus, not find common ground. Teacher, which commandment is the greatest? I think it's kind of humorous. These learned scholars with their PhDs and and biblical knowledge hanging from their foreheads, and and they ask Jesus this question. Jesus, which, which one is the greatest? I think it's kind of like, well... Maybe it's like Phyllis Pellman Good asking someone for the best fix-it-or-fix-it recipe. Which one's the best, Phyllis might ask. Me. Well, duh, Phyllis, you wrote the book. It's kind of that humorous kind of thing where you kind of see where they're going. They're not really trying to find something out. They're trying to set something up for their own welfare. And Jesus' response is what Lederick terms an extraordinary presence of compassion toward those who would have him discredited. So he says to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. That's the greatest. And the first and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments bring, hang all the law and the prophets, all the Ten Commandments and all the six orders of the Jewish Mishnah with hundreds of interpretation, interpretation and interpretive laws. They all hang under these two, according to Jesus. And so in response to this text, Lederach has us approach this art walk by strolling along the path that Jesus took. So let's take a look at that path the way that Jesus chose to be present, the way that Jesus was in relationship with people, the way that Jesus was in the company of others, even those who wished him harm. So to reconcile, we live into compassion with our presence, not just talk about the compassion, we we walk the talk. So three reconciliation arts that Lederach picks up on. The first, of course, is love your neighbor. Noticing Humanity is Lederach's way of talking about it, noticing our mutual humanity. So how did Jesus love the neighbor? He took notice of people, saw their common humanity. The little man in the sycamore tree, the woman touching his cloak, the children considered a nuisance by his disciples. Lederach likes to imagine Jesus passing the test of compassion and It's described this way. We walk by somebody or see somebody. If we make eye contact, that kind of draws us to them. But if we turn our face away, if I turn my face away, I'm going to avoid whatever conversation we might have because I don't want to or I don't have time or or whatever. But Lederox notices that Jesus passes that compassion test, noticing the humanity of others. And he calls it the first starting point of reconciliation. The second art of reconciliation in this chapter is love yourself. Nurturing 
the art of self-reflection and self-care. How did Jesus love himself? Well, in Mark's gospel especially, we find he takes time for himself on a number of occasions. goes off by himself. No disciples to teach, no, no crowds to preach to, no, nobody. Just he and the Lord. He also walks with others. He notices and responds to them in the daily issues of life. In other words, he identifies with them. And it's kind of like, I have the same issues you do. And he also asks those close to him to reflect with him about his identity and purpose. Some of you are aware of a, of a, of a practice called the clearing committee or clearance committee where you gather some friends around and you ask them to reflect with you about an upcoming decision or a, an upcoming important moment in your life. You'd like some reflection. I imagine Jesus doing this with, with his disciples, when, especially when he's asked them, well, who do people say that I am? Self-care, asking others, what's going on with me? How, how do you see me? How do you see me working and acting? and acting? And so, love your neighbor, noticing mutual humanity. Love yourself, nurturing the art of self-care. And loving God is the third. Lederach uses the word accompaniment. We have a piano sometimes in accompaniment to our singing How did Jesus love God? He shares suffering with God's people. John 1 in, the, in, the, in John's Gospel reminds us that the word, meaning Jesus, becomes flesh and lives among us, not apart from us. Jesus befriends God's people, the people that God loves, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the leper, the woman at the well. Accompaniment. How did Jesus love God? He breaks bread with those considered to be far from socially acceptable. He ate with people. An intimate action that in time, Peter caught the idea in Acts 10 and began to understand accompaniment. Which makes me think that the acronym, what did Jesus do, is far more satisfactory to me than, than what would Jesus do. What did Jesus do? There's the story of the Mennonite Central Committee worker in Saskatchewan in the 80s. Her name is, her name is Bonnie Cummings, and this story is recorded in Planting Seeds of Peace by Rebecca Siling. So Bonnie is there as a volunteer for several years, and she has access to a van which she transports youth and also helps to uh, take equipment back and forth for the community garden. And she begins noticing that the gas tank was like a quarter empty when she just filled it up the night before. And of course, something's going on here. And when it happens more than once, she asks some community people, and they say, well, someone's stealing your gas. So the third and fourth and fifth time, and she's kind of at her wit's end, what in the world do I do? Well, this is the advice that came back from the community. We could rig up a, a, a tank, connect it to a hose to, to the gas um, receptacle in your van so that the gas will flow into this tank, and we're going to put sugar in that tank, and that little uh, gas, um, not a tank, but a, 
The thing that you use when you run out of gas. You know what that is. Gas can. Okay. Good to see you're all awake this morning. So don't ask me how that would work, but that's how the story goes. We could do that, and then you pour that. If they would take that can and pour it in their tank with the stolen gas, it would ruin their engine, and it would serve them right. Well, Bonnie just didn't feel good about that. She stewed over that for a couple of days. And then somewhere she got another idea. So after the tenth time when the gas was stolen from her tank, she went out to her van at night when it was dark and taped a letter onto it with a $10 bill and in the letter a note If you need the gas so much, here, use the $10 bill. I really need the gas tomorrow morning for my errands with the youth and with my community garden. So there's no guarantee, right? There's never a guarantee. The next morning she got up, still in her pajamas, and ran out to the van, and and there was the $10 bill. And I think in a miraculous way, her gas was never stolen again that whole summer, the whole time she was there. So reconciliation is an art to be about doing what Jesus did. Lederach concludes chapter 3 in this way. God in the form of Jesus sets up house beside us so that we can see and hear and touch and interact with a person who walks and lives with us. And through Jesus... We see God's reconciling love living with us. Through Jesus, we see that God's reconciling love is made present. It takes the form of one who embodies true love, and it dares to live a dream that is possible to reconcile all things. It's this one, Jesus, who invites us this morning to a discipleship challenge with no trick questions. Throughout this sermon series, we are called to both hear and act. To practice hearing and then to practice doing. As we remember Jesus' words, let anyone with ears to listen hear. We want his teachings on reconciliation to enter our ears to make a difference in how we live. And that means we commit to interaction with the reconciling ways of Jesus No guarantees, right? But a lot of hope and a lot of of ways of moving forward. And so again today in our bulletin, we are invited to prayerfully choose one of the experiments that you have in your bulletin. And you might want to take that out and just be prepared as we soon enter a time of silence. Now these experiments have been prepared by Craig Dalen and Janice Sensitic and Jay Parrish. And in our time of silence now, we invite you to read slowly through these three, three or four experiments and invite the Holy Spirit to draw us to one of them so that we might be equipped with one new attitude or one new action for our shared ministry of reconciliation. For it's an arts walk. It's an arts walk, not just the talk. So, Enough talk. Let's walk.